we are wrapping up our great news series, great news series, and I get to close it. And so I get to start off with a story. My dad's mom, we called her Big Mama. Big Mama had a lot of rules, regulations in her house. A lot of these I learned as I got older. Uh, my, my Big Mama went on to be with the Lord while I was in middle school, but I learned a few things while she was still around. So there are a couple things you had to do at Big Mama's house. First thing is that you could not walk into the room first time, first morning, first time you've ever seen Big Mama and not speak to her. If you tried to walk by, she'd say, you just going to walk by me and not say nothing? Y'all don't, y'all don't love you, Big Mama. Y'all don't love me. Y'all don't love me. So you had to greet Big Mama. Another thing you did not do at Big Mama's house is you did not tell her that wrestling was fake. From the myth and stories I was told, I almost lost a brother the day she was watching, and her favorite wrestler, Hulk Hogan, was going at it. He said, you know that's fake, right? What'd you say? And then I was told that he survived. So you did not tell Big Mama that wrestling was fake. And the third thing that I learned was that in Big Mama's house is that if you broke any of her glass dishes or anything in her house, you better tell her. Because if you didn't tell her and she found out labor, she would then make you go do, and what I believe is cruel and unusual punishment, is you had to go outside and pick the switch from the tree branch that was going to then um, grace your behind. There's, no much, there's so much torture in that. What do I get that's going to really not hurt but still hurt? Like, but you had to tell her. If you broke something, you told her right away because the cover-up was worse to her. Come and tell me. And if you get, went and told her, no punishment. You covered it up, go pick a switch. But basically, Big Mama was telling us is that even if you did something wrong, that there was grace for you if you came and told me. And so that is the title of my message for those of you that take notes is there's grace for that. There's grace for that. And so the definition I'll be using is grace because um, growing up in church, I heard of, of grace that it was really this that his, is his unmerited favor, that his unconditional favor for us. And that is 100% true. I believe that. But something that the Holy Spirit began to show me and reveal is that grace is an empowerment. And the definition I have is grace is enabling power and influence of the Spirit of God, the unconditional favor of God. So I'm going to read that again. Grace is enabling power and influence of the Spirit of God, the unconditional favor of God. So grace is more than just forgiveness. It's an empowerment. Grace is more than just forgiveness. It's an empowerment. So I shared this with the youth on Wednesday. So they got a little pre-sample pre of the message. And, and I've used this analogy before, but it worked so good. So I have in front of me, I'm holding what is the manual to the car I drove this morning. And inside it also is the title of the car, the title and the manual. And so if I hand this to Chase, I say, Chase, that's yours. You got the title, you got the manual. Chase has a car, right? He does have a car. That's not the trick question. The trick question is coming later. But can Chase go out on the loop on Broadway with that manual and that title and get on the road and start walking down the street saying, excuse me, take it and right, right here, and he cannot... Can he take the manual or go out on the road? No, he can't take the title and go and sit in tra behind traffic, can he? No. 
But that title says that he has a car, correct? The title says that he has a car. So what would he then need if he goes out to the car, he has a title, what then does he need on top of that? Keys. Thank you. So now the title and the manual and now the keys and now he can go start the car and he can get to where he is going. Ladies and gentlemen, the title and the manual are like faith. Faith says that somewhere in that parking lot, there's a car that belongs to me. That's what faith says. Faith says that that's why you can say by faith, by Jesus stripes I'm healed. It says that you confess out of your mouth that you were saved and you will be out of your mouth. You have faith to do that. But then grace says, hey, I'm going to go give you the power to go and do what faith says you can do. Because we're saved by grace through faith. So you got your faith, got your grace. It's just an analogy, go with me, that you can go and now get in the car and take you to where you need to go. So we're using grace and faith today. So my first point about there's grace for that is there's grace for your sins. There's grace for your sins. And so underneath there's several scripture references that I have, but the one I want to read is in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. I'm going to read it out of the NIV version. And it says this. It says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Verse 9, Not by works so that no one could boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have been saved, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. The key word there is not by works. There's another scripture in Romans 6, 11 through 14 says, you are not under the law, but under grace. Romans eleven six 6 says, not by works, but by grace. God is really trying to let us know, first and foremost, is that it is not by your works to which you were saved. It is by grace, through faith, by grace, through faith. And the reason why this is so important, this is my first point, is that a lot of us, a lot of Christians will get saved, they'll get their faith, so they'll get the title of the car, they'll get the keys, but then they'll stay right where you are in your seat. And they say, is it really mine? Yeah, I put your name on it. It's there. The title is there. And I even gave you a manual, the Bible, to show you what to do in case something goes wrong. Yeah, but can I really do that? Yeah, I got you the keys. The keys, I, I use the keys. I promise you they work. Yeah. Will it really start the car? But we have the faith and we have the word of God and we have grace that's there for us and we still sit there sometimes and we don't move because we're just like, but God, do you really forgive me? God, am I really able to do that? Do you really love me? And see, if I was an enemy, if I was someone that was attacking you and I knew that once you got in the car, you'd be hard to stop, right? But if I was an enemy, if I was strategic, you know what I would say? You know what? I'm going to stop Chase from getting to the car. So instead of us getting on our path to where God's had us, most of us are stuck staying in one place and questioning that because that's the enemy's plan. He wants you to question, is grace really there for you? Is God really telling me to go do this? Is he really giving me the power to do that? Has he really forgiven me of all my sins? Has he really forgiven me of everything that I've done? I had a bad thought. I don't really like this person. I really don't like coming to church sometimes. Does he really forgive me of that? 
Yes, there's grace for that. So we have to get past that first point, and a lot of Christians get stuck there, questioning their identity, questioning who they are, questioning whether or not they can do it. And I'm telling you, there's grace for that. There's grace for your sin. Point number two, there's grace for your hard times, your tough times. Because a lot of us have been going through a tough time. Some of you guys have maybe in situations, and maybe at home you're in that same situation where you're just wondering about what's going to happen with your job or what's going to happen financially or what's going to happen because you've been stuck at home and now you're like, man, these, these coworkers I've, I've seen around the house, I really don't like them right now, and they're your family. And you're having those tough questions. Guess what? There is grace for you in this tough time. We're going to stay in the book of Ephesians, go over to chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I'm staying in that in the NIV version. Ephesians 4, verse 1. And it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were Called to one hope, and when you're called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ's portion. That is why it says, when we have ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Did I read the right verse? I did not read the right verse. I'm sorry. That's for point three. I jumped ahead. Maybe the Lord wanted me to do that. Uh, point three says there's grace for your calling, but there's grace for your hard times. You know what? Let's do this again. Um, it's actually 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. I'm sorry. That's what it is. There it is. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because in those moments where I am weak, God has the most ability to use because I can't do it on my own. And sometimes we get in this mindset of trusting our own self more than we trust God. And we have these moments of weakness where there's no other way that it can be done except God. Let me tell you something. God wants you to live a life that says there is no other way I can do it except through you in everything that you do. That's why it's written, when I am weak, I am strong. That's confusing to people when they read it. I'm weak, I'm strong? Yes, because of what's inside of me. Because there's grace for your hard times. So Paul talked about the different things he had to go through. Paul, as, as Pastor Chris said last week, if you didn't hear that message, that there's, that there's a purpose in the storm, that there's grace, there's power for you in that storm. I have not, I've yet to find a character in the Bible that did what God told them to do and just had smooth sailing all the way through. Every last one of them went through something difficult. They went through something difficult, but the key word is they went through it. And then they saw God's goodness. Guess what? You are going through it. You will go through it, and it will not be there always. This will not be a forever season. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You walk through it. 
I hope that encouraged you today that if, there's, if you're in a really difficult time, that you are going through it. It will not last always, but there's grace for you even in the tough time. Now, point three, there's grace for your calling. And I already read the scripture, so I don't have to read it again. But there's, there's grace for your calling. There's grace for your calling. And, and I've had this discussion with several of my, my young adults and, and several of, of the youth because relationships is just a big thing for all of us. And, and I've had this question, well, well, what if I really desire to, to be married, but that's not what God has for me? And I would tell them in a loving way that that would be the cruelest thing a father would do to know you, create you, and make you, and put a desire in your heart and then say, nope, you're not going to do that. That'd be like an engineer designing a vacuum and it not sucking. Every vacuum is supposed to suck, what it was designed and created to do. I truly believe that God would not give you a passion to travel around the world and, and want to go see people's lives change and want to be a missionary and then say, you know what, stay where you are. Don't leave ever. I don't, I don't think God would do that. That's not the God I serve. That's not the God I read about that would say, yes, I put this desire in you. I engineered you to think that way, to believe that way. Now don't do it. Now, I will say that, yes, those things have to be submitted to God in his timing. I will say this, that your actions can alter those plans a little bit, can alter the timing. That if I say that I'm going to do, if God, I believe God's called me to do something, and then I make a series of decisions that then change my life, affect my life, guess what? Has not changed God's favor and grace in my life. But now the journey's going to take a little bit longer. As, as Pastor Chris explained so great, I'm so glad that message followed this one because it was like Paul was going to do something. But you know what? We're going to take a little detour because I got some other things you're going to do. Sometimes we, our, our decisions send us on detours. But guess what? It doesn't change God's plan for your life. Remember, your actions cannot outdo the finished work of Jesus on the cross. There's grace for that. I'm telling you, those dreams that you've had, there's grace for resurrection of those dreams. There's grace for that. Those dreams have not died. If you've killed them in your mind, God says, I want to bring those back to life because I have not left you. I have not left my hand from you. And I see us, I see us battling that in our minds. We wonder, can I really, though? Can you really? The title and grace. Title on the keys, it's there. It's there. You may have been holding them for a long time. You may have even set them down. But it's still there. It's still there for you. Do not allow those things to die. There's grace for your calling. There's grace for what God has created you to do. There's grace to go do it. There's a power that's with you to go do it. In every, again, every character of the Bible, Remember Moses said, like, I don't, you know, can I really go do that? Do I really have the, 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 the I, 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 I stutter. Can I really, 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 really go talk? And guess what? There was grace for him there. You realize that Noah built the ark, and there had never been an ark that had been seen before? There had never been a boat that big. God said, yep, I'm going to show you how to do it. So we see, again, throughout the Bible that there's grace 
for you. There's grace for you to do what God has called you to do. Does that make sense this morning? That there's, there's grace for you this morning. And then the last, my last point, man, just going right through this, fantastic. There's grace, there's grace to teach. Last point, there's grace to teach. Okay, yeah, we'll do that. So there's, so there's grace to teach. Now, a lot of us think teaching, and we really only picture a couple different scenarios. When I say teach, you either picture the school, you picture yourself on, like, this platform, like a church setting where you're in front of people. And I want to tell you today that the grace to teach is for everyone. Because your platform that you are speaking and teaching from may not look like this platform that I'm standing on. But all of you are on a platform teaching and speaking to someone. See, growing up, I learned a lot from my parents. I learned a lot from my parents. As far as watching their relationship, I learned so much. And the key I want to tell you guys about, like, when it comes to learning, who is the, if I was, if I said, okay, you're going to learn to be a chef. If, if you're going to be a chef, what is the best place to go learn how to be a chef from either a welding school or a culinary school? Culinary school, right? Go to culinary school, teach how to be a chef. Now, some of you guys are thinking right now, well, I can learn how to be a chef and watch YouTube videos. That's exactly right. That is not the only way to learn. But what is the best way to learn is for someone to teach you that's done that, correct? So if I'm going to learn how to be a man of God, one of the best ways to learn how to do that is from other men of God. It's not the only way I can learn, but it's the best way to learn. And so I learned how to be a man of God, a husband of God, by men of God in my life. Watching my dad, I learned so much about providing for your family and the spiritual guidance. My dad had Bible study with us every day. Say every day. And if he's watching online, I'm sorry, Dad. We did have church all the time at home. We would have church on Sunday morning, and then we go home and eat. And then we have church Sunday evening, like shortly after that. Because he preached Sunday, he's like, I still got more. And so he's preaching again. <laughs> then we have church Monday evening. Then Tuesday, you finished with your homework? Yes. <laughs> okay, we got Bible study again. Come on. Like, I learned the spiritual preparation and teaching from my dad. But guess what? Thank God I did not learn about the uh, public display of affection from my parents. Like, I didn't see that all the time. And I'm happy. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. I didn't learn that from my parents. I mean, I knew they loved each other. I'm the youngest of seven, so obviously they loved each other. But I didn't, I didn't see that. I learned the, the affection and this, the, uh, the, the just lovingness that you have for your spouse. I learned that from seeing Pastor Sam and Miss Yvette. I grew up in, I grew up, they're my second, my second parents, and I, and I watched just the way he, he always encouraged her and called her beautiful and said those things. I took notes of that, and I learned that from him. I learned from, from, from my youth pastor, Pastor Corey Hooper, I learned how to reverence and honor your wife. Because when, they, when the Hoopers first came to Tyler, there was only two little Hoopers. So Miss Tristy, Pastor Corey's wife, was there, you know, sparingly at youth group. 
when the third baby hooper came along, she wasn't around. Sorry, Conley just took Tristy from the, house, from the church. <laughs> but when she wasn't there, Pastor Corey talked about her in such honor and such reverence that when she was finally there and she was speaking to us, all the youth were like, it's Tristy, it's Tristy's here, Tristy's here. Oh, my gosh, Tristy's speaking tonight. Tristy's speaking. Get your notes. Tristy's speaking. Because of how much honor and respect he spoke of her and how much wisdom I learned that from, from Pastor Corey. And from Pastor Chris and Miss Lisa, and all honestly, I learned from Pastor Chris that, and Miss Lisa watching their relationship, is that throughout the ups and downs of marriage, the friendship aspect is so important. Those two laugh and giggle about everything together. And I learned that, and I took all those things, and I incorporated those into my marriage. And so I try to do those things. And the reason I tell you that is that in Titus chapter 2, talks about the teaching aspect that should happen in our lives. And I just want to read that really quickly because I think it's, it's so good. It's so good. So I'm going to go ahead and read this real quick. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, and love and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. and everything, set them example for doing what is good. In your teachings, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Because, again, if I was the enemy, I would get everyone questioning their identity. Because instead of us worrying about what we're doing, instead of the question of saying, oh, should a woman be teaching? Should a woman be praying? We're so wrapped up in that question. Instead of the question we should be asking about everyone who steps onto a stage, what message are they preaching? What are they teaching? We're focused on the messenger more than the message. And the message should be, what are they teaching? What are they teaching their kids at home? Are you teaching your kids that, you know what, even though that you're supposed to work in a team, that you can backtalk completely dishonor and disrespect your husband because it doesn't matter, God's still going to be with you? Is that what you're teaching your kids? Are you teaching your kids that, you know, you can talk any way you want to your wife, and that's what, she's going to have to stay with you? What are you teaching? What are your kids? Because guess what? You got a platform. You're talking to them. You're teaching them. You're preaching to them. You're speaking the message. The way you carry yourself is, is teaching them something. What message are we teaching the generations after us? Yeah. Are we teaching them that you can talk horrible about your boss and just be any kind of employee? It doesn't matter. Are we teaching them that, you know what, we just go to church and that's where church and Jesus say, me and God have an understanding with the family? So that's why we only pray before food, and when we pray at church, we don't really pray at home. What are we teaching? And guess what? If you're feeling guilt come on you, that is not the Holy Spirit. Because guess what? There's grace for that, guys. You can start today with a new message to teach your family, to teach those that, are lo- that, are, that, are, that you're in communication with and community with. Your friends, what are you teaching them? What are, you, what are you showing them about being a Christian? We're all preaching. 
we're all teaching. Your platform looks different. I start telling my older youth, guess what? You're teaching to the younger kids. Guess what? Toddlers are teaching to the, their little brothers and sisters. That's why you wonder how they team up and do crazy stuff at home, because they teach them. <laughs> they collaborate against you, parents. I'm sorry. We did it. <laughs> College students, you're teaching high school students. You're teaching somebody. You're teaching somebody. Doesn't matter if you get a microphone. Doesn't matter if you stand on a stage. But what are you teaching them? I believe we should focus on the message that we're portraying to our community and also the world around us because they're looking. Do I really want to be a Christian? Because every time I see you, you're complaining about something at the church. Why do you go there? You're complaining about something about in your life. I thought you said God was supply all your needs. How come you're complaining? Like, you're preaching that message. And they may never say anything to you. But in their mind, they're watching you. But guess what? There's grace for that. You are not called to be perfect. I'm not asking you to be perfect. You know what? Some of the biggest things I've learned, and I could, I could go on and on about things I've learned from men of God in this house. I can, I can sit here and just point to different ones that I've learned different things, some that are older than me and some that are younger than me. I've learned about having so much grace and just a repentant heart from just seeing different men in my life who were not perfect, but they owned up to their mistakes and they turned and they ran to God. And to know that, guess what? That's Okay. God likes that. God loves that. And even my father-in-law, if he's, if he's watching online, my father-in-law is the epitome of the scripture, pray without ceasing. And at first I laughed because we were driving the car and, you know, your car's making noise. And if you're not a mechanic, you don't care what that is. You're like, oh, it's still working? Okay, keep going. <laughs> my car made a noise. He said, what is that? I don't know. It just does that. He said, okay, Father, in the name of Jesus. And he put his hand on the, on the car, and he started praying. And I was like, oh, we're praying. Oh, I'm driving. I can't do that. Oh. And, and he just prayed, and I kind of laughed, and then we did something else, and he prayed over that. Did something else, he prayed over that. And I was like, this man prays all the time. He prays without ceasing. And then the Holy Spirit just came and did a little poke and just said, you know what he's doing, right? He's inviting me to every situation in his life. And I was like, okay, okay, I need to pray more. I know, I need to pray more. But it's, he taught me that, that it doesn't matter. Invite God in. It doesn't matter what it looks like. Invite God in. Car making a funny noise? Invite God in. Don't just invite him to the dinner table. Invite him in. If, something, if, if, we're, at, if we're at the house in Michigan, we're just talking about stuff, and everything seems like it's chaotic, he said, let's just pray right now. And he starts inviting the Lord into that conversation. be the middle of a football game. You're like, okay, I'm praying. Did it? Did they score? Okay, yes, Jesus, yes. Okay. I mean, he invites the Lord in. And so you can, you can teach little things that your children, your family, your friends will pick up and incorporate in their lives, but you're teaching them something. Again, it's not condemnation. Just ask yourself, what message am I, am I telling my kids? What message am I showing them? And I'll finish with this. So there was a couple of us in high school, we started doing morning prayer at our 
high school for my senior year. We'd have a late start on Wednesdays. And so instead of coming to school late, we came to school at the regular normal time and just gathered around our flagpole in the middle of the courtyard, Robert E. Lee High School, and started praying. It was good. We'd have, of course, a couple kids from the youth, and then a few strangers or some people come by, hey, can y'all pray for me? I got this test on them. We'll pass it. Yeah, we got you. We'll pray for you. And we probably saw, at most, 10 people show up. Fast forward a year later. I'm in the grocery store. This guy comes up behind me, and he was like, hey, you're Roger, right? I was like, yes, who's asking? You, you and some friends used to do that prayer at school. I said, yeah, we did. That was, you know, some people from my youth group. He said, you know what? Um, we actually turned that into an organization on campus, and we have about 40 kids that come every Wednesday to pray. And I was like, what? And he said, I just want to thank you. And I said, for what? He said, because you started 212. I was like, 212? He said, yeah, transformation that happened in my life because of seeing you and your friends not ashamed of the Lord praying in your school. You started 212. And so that's why the name of our youth group is 212. When there was doubt in my mind of what we should do something, of whether or not work, and then Wednesday after Wednesday seeing Two people, three people, you, no one else, five people. It's growing. Seven people, one person, you, no one else. That, that thought of just maybe I should just give up, maybe I should just stop. I said, no, keep going. Keep going. Keep going. I've given you the keys. I've given you the title. Keep going. Keep going. And that transformed a young man's life to make it into an organization on campus. So what do I want you to know? I want you to know that grace is available for you today. What I want you to feel, I want you to feel all the condemnation, guilt, leaving your heart, your soul, and your mind today because God is taking over. And what do I want you to do? I want you to take your faith, take your grace. I want you to get in the car and let's go because we can do it. You can do it. Why? Because there's grace for that. Father, God, I thank you for your grace in Jesus' name. God, I thank you that each person right now under the sound of my voice has been given the grace to do what you have created them and what you have called them to do that will allow you, that will cause you to turn off your love for us. So we believe that. We take it now in Jesus' name, amen.